Well, good morning, church. I hope you're safe. I hope you're well. I hope you're not going crazy. We are thinking of you. We are praying for you. And as much as we are praying, Lord, fix this, we're also praying, Lord, somehow use this. Use this for our good, for your glory. We've all probably become a bit of um, news junkies lately. And sometimes it's hard to separate the wise information from the foolish information. So um, let me just tell you, no cocaine and bleach do not stop the coronavirus. We've seen some foolish people. But like, it's a virus, I get it. Like, I respect it. But at the same time, like, even if everybody gets it, like, yeah, people are gonna die. It's just terrible, but like, inevitable? I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this right now. <laughs> That's a bad look that increasingly um, will not age well. <laughs> How about these Florida kids? This video from Clearwater Beach Monday was a stark reminder spring breakers were not getting the message. I think they're blowing it way out of proportion. I think it's doing way too much. If I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. That was just dumb. And if you're eating something, I just encourage you to stop for a second. You'll thank me later. Besides sharing that he's high as a kite off his meds, Lars also shared with fans that he has been diagnosed with coronavirus. Any guesses as to why? Well, if you guessed it's because he licked a toilet seat, then ding, 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 you are correct. So if you think I'm picking on millennials, I'm not. In fact, um, why don't I pick on someone in my own line of work? They don't want us to do this, but just turn around and greet two or three people. Tell them, you love them, Jesus loves them. Amen. Listen, this has to be the safest place. I said, this has to be the safest place. If you cannot be safe in church, you're in serious trouble. Serious trouble. We are not stopping anything. I, I got news for you. This church will never close. The only time the church is closed is when the rapture's taken place. This Bible school is open because we're raising up revivalists, not pansies. People said to me, are you, are you shutting down church? I said, when they shut down Walmart, Costco, when they shut all the hospitals down, then we might talk about it. But you know, church is a place that's supposed to be open to meet the needs of people. Are you with me? There's just a lot of foolishness going around these days. And it seems um, a crisis doesn't always build character. It, it most certainly reveals character. If you were unscrupulous or foolish or greedy, this pandemic is gonna reveal it. And in the same way, it'll reveal your compassion and your generosity or your wisdom or your bravery. If you've listened to any Andy Stanley, it's one of his, his favorite questions. 
what is the wise thing for me to do? Or what does wisdom ask of us? And not unrelated to that, especially lately, what does love require of us? Yeah, but that's not the question a lot of us ask. The question a lot of us ask is a lot closer to something like, how close can I get to the line between right and wrong without actually doing something wrong? You know, the Christian version goes like this. How close can I get to sin without actually sinning? Now, as a former teenage guy, I'm only going to speak on behalf of dudes, but I bet every Christian teenage guy has asked this question at some point in their dating career. Everyone on a diet asks this question every day. Attorneys make a living asking this question on behalf of their clients. And that question is, how far over the line can I go? How far over the line between right and wrong can I go before I suffer consequences? In other words, how unethical, immoral, insensitive can I be without suffering undesirable outcomes? How can I... How long can I neglect my family, my finances, my professional responsibilities? How far over the speed limit can I go before being pulled over? How far can I indulge in addictive behavior without actually becoming addicted? It's, it's a slippery slope. And, and it, it's kind of a sinister question. It goes back to the garden, really. Did God really say not to eat from this tree? It all begins so innocently by just asking, is there anything really wrong with this? But usually that leads ultimately to another question, a more pertinent question, one that I think we've all asked at one time or another. How did I get myself into this mess? So last week I talked about Ephesians chapter 5, that it has a, a to-do list and a do-not-do list. But when you dig a little deeper and particularly read scripture in light of other scripture, the moral of the story is just because there isn't a thou shalt not attached to a situation does not necessarily mean it's an automatic thou shalt. In other words, you know, just because something is um, morally, uh, culturally, even theologically permissible, it doesn't mean it's what's best for us. It's often not the way of wisdom. So the question God gave us is not so much, is there anything wrong with it? The question is, what is the wise thing to do to foolproof your life? Let me say that again, to fool proof your life. The question you ought to be asking in every invitation, every opportunity, every relationship, what is the wise thing for me to do? What does wisdom require of me? Now, there's a lot of people who would proudly claim the title of fundamentalist, and I'll tell you why I don't. A fundamentalist, and I mean this for any religion, um, seems to be motivated by this desire for clarity. It, it wants black and white answers, even in places where the Bible is silent, quite frankly. It demands certainty where none is offered. They don't believe that God has left 
anything unclear. So there are rules for every situation in life. Okay. Well, then, if you could all turn to that part in your Bible that talks about stem cell research. I'll wait. How about um, if you all could turn to that part in your Bible that talks about live streaming services, you know, whether, whether it's theologically right or wrong. You might be surprised. There's some people that have strong opinions about that. Um, maybe you could turn to that part, that famous part in your Bible that tells people how to respond to the coronavirus. Now, I know there's many general like principles of conduct, but I'm talking about that COVID-specific verse. You still looking? Like, if you're like me and you believe that God actually leaves some things unclear, why would God leave things unclear? My guess is that maybe he actually wants us to cry out for wisdom. You know, he actually wants us to do that because crying out for wisdom requires naturally self-sufficient people like us to lean on him. All those gray areas in life sort of function as training grounds for, for trust in him. So this week really is a continuation of last week. It, it, it's in the same train of thought that I arbitrarily had to cut into two parts in chapter five of Ephesians. It continues to ask the question, what does it look like to live as children of light? What does it look like to, to live as adopted children of a good father, the king of kings? So there's a few more things on the do list and on the don't do list. Starting at verse 15, it says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And some translations say, walk as wise. The world is, is filled with folly, isn't it? The whole juxtaposition in the book of Proverbs is, is between folly and wisdom. Some things are sinful and other things are just stupid, right? And you can say, oh, well, it's not a sin, okay but it's not wise, um, it's not a good use of your time, it's not a good use of your energy, it's not a good use of your money, it's not a good investment of your life. And it says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Oh my goodness, are, are these evil days? I don't think I'd get any pushback on that. These are scary, evil days, but the wise response from Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is to make the most of opportunities. And there are opportunities in these crazy corona days we find ourselves in, aren't there? Man, you better believe there is. I, I believe we have the opportunity to actually reach more people, be even more good news in our community, serve more people than we ever have. It's why I am unapologetically asking you to give and give generously, even in these you know, financially scary times. We have a chance to make the most of the situation. And this may be cold comfort to some, and not everybody in you know, these days is thinking about the future of the Big C Church. I get that. You're thinking about how to pay your mortgage. You're thinking about all the 
plans and dreams that this crisis has kind of crushed, all the disruptions to your life it's made. But I hope this is encouraging to some of you. Revivals, historically speaking, are not birthed in times of prosperity and comfort and ease. Revivals are birthed in times of hardship and pain and desperation. And even, you know, as I say that, there's this part of me that just wants everything to go back to the way it was when we were relatively safe and comfortable and a little bit complacent. Oh, the glory years of three weeks ago, four weeks ago. At least things were predictable. But man, I'd give all of that up for for a mighty move of God that wakes up Christians and brings uh, new believers into the kingdom of God. Make the most of these opportunities, church. And then he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. The more traditional rendering of that verse is discern the will of the Lord or discern what um, pleases the Lord. You know, when you're adopted into the family of God, all of a sudden, life is no longer, what do I want? Um, the question is, what does he want? Lord, what would, what would please you? That's the goal. And so often we don't even ask the question. In fact, we decide what we want, and then we pray, telling God to make it happen. No, we need to, we need to pray first. God, what do you want me to do? And then we're, we're to obey. So friends, that's, that's why we have the word of God, so that we can know God and, and who he is, that we can know ourselves, um, that we can discern what pleases God. Most of the answers to most of your questions about what, what pleases God have already been answered. And they're right, they're right here in this book. Sometimes Christians go searching for answers on Google and they should be searching the, the scriptures. Okay, speaking of wisdom, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Dang, that's how the NLT version puts it. And it doesn't mince words, does it? It'll ruin your life. Now look, it's not a sin to have a drink if you're over 19 and you don't cause others to stumble. I know um, some of you grew up in religious traditions where they added some things to the Bible, like no dancing and no movies and no playing cards. And, and they'd be like, well, Jesus actually turned water into grape juice. Mm, no, he didn't. Have you been drinking? Because who would interpret it like that? Otherwise, Ephesians would be saying, do not get drunk on grape juice. And you'd be like, yeah, it shouldn't be too hard. I think it would take a lot of grape juice. I think my odds of drowning would exceed my odds of, of drunkenness. Because the Bible actually talks about wine, it talks about alcohol, it talks about beer in Proverbs. It's not a sin. It is a sin to disobey the law. It's a sin to cause others to stumble. And it's a sin to get drunk. And I, I mean, we're talking about wisdom here. It, I mean, is drunkenness not symbolic of the ultimate height of foolishness? If, if you don't think so, try being the only sober person in a room full of drunk people. You, you, you'll want to start murdering 
Joy McLaurin told me an interesting story about her experience. You'll have to ask her about it sometime. But why does God even care about this? Well, I think it has something to do with the next sentence in this passage. Paul says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to be under the control of something, be under control of the Holy Spirit. Don't escape your problems. Um, Overcome them by the power of God. That's the big idea, I think, of what Paul's getting at. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He is a person. He's not a force. Um, Jesus promised us that he would return and that in the meantime, he would send the Holy Spirit and that he would convict us of sin. He's God. He's the one who empowered the life of Jesus. He empowers the life of of Jesus's people. And some of you may have been raised in chandelier swinging churches where you've essentially been told that if you pray loud enough and if someone finds a tambourine and we make enough noise, we'll wake up the Holy Spirit and that's when he'll show up. Here's the truth. The Holy Spirit's already there, right? He's already with you. He's with me. He's already been poured out. He's already with God's people. He's already in God's people. And it's not that we have to, you know, make him show up. It's that we need to avail ourselves to his presence. The language here that Paul uses, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's like the imagery of, of sailing. You know, let's say the wind is blowing and there's a boat that's out on the lake. And the boat doesn't have any energy or movement or momentum unless it puts the sail up. And once the sail is up, the sail gets filled and then the boat gets moved and propelled with this great force and power. So he's already there. And if you're not moving, maybe it's because you've taken your proverbial sail down. It's not that the Holy Spirit is unwilling. It's sometimes that we are. That's the issue. And then Paul goes on to say, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Like this is all related with the Holy Spirit. Those who are filled with the Spirit, they sing. That's that's why, quite frankly, charismatic churches tend to outsing other kinds of churches. They just do. Churches that, that believe in the Holy Spirit tend to sing louder. And their bands, frankly, tend to be better. I'm just, I'm delivering the mail. I don't write it. I'm just telling you how it is. And now some of you might ask, well, if I sing loud and raise my hands, like, what will other people think of me? Well, that's not the question. We worship God. We ought to be wondering what he's thinking if we're not singing. And I'll tell you what, Nack, people, people cheer their gods in other places of worship, like stadiums and arenas and theaters. Their God is sport or entertainment or bands, and they show up and they cheer and they sing along. So, so worship is actually happening everywhere. It's just misplaced usually. So most of all, worship should be happening among God's people. We're, we're singing for Team Jesus, you know? You may as well sing for the God who conquered sin and death. I'll say this too, you ever notice where the happiest, loudest places tend to be? Where there's alcohol, you know? You show up at a bar, it's loud, it's packed, everybody's excited. 
a lot of activity, a lot of energy. And usually we include music, right? So maybe there's a band or a DJ or if you're unlucky, karaoke, right? And you put those two together, drunk people with debauchery and a microphone. At that point, you know, we're about as far from the glory of God as possible. So I find it interesting that when unbelievers gather together, they often do so in a common place with alcohol and music so that they can be filled with something and sing to something. Could it be that deep down, everybody wants what, what God offers? God who made us in his image and likeness, God who made us to gather together, God who made us to be filled with someone, not something, and, and God has made us to sing. And if it's not Jesus, it becomes someone or something else. And if it's not the church, it becomes somewhere else. I personally think that's why some of this crisis that we're in is so hard, because we were made to gather. We were made to um, sing together, singing and making music to the Lord with your heart. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart. The Bible speaks of your heart more than 900 times. It's the sum and the center of of who you are. In your heart, there's love for Jesus. In your heart, there's joy for Jesus. In your heart, there's singing to Jesus. And then finally, Paul says, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is is that attitude of gratitude where you're always wondering, um, what can I be thankful for today? You know why? Even if life is hard, and who would argue that that this is one of the hardest times we've ever been through? God's still your father. And the only thing worse than a hard season is a hard season without a father who cares. Worship is a verb. Worship is out in action. Worship is up in adoration. Out in action is loving one another, it's serving one another, it's caring for one another, it's enduring with one another. So part of worship is out, it's it's action, but it's also up, it's adoration, it's singing, it's making music, it's giving thanks for God the Father, it's enjoying Jesus Christ. I I know some of us are more wired toward the sermon, more wired toward the intellectual, but don't come late for the worship, okay? Or in this case, don't fast forward the worship because when we sing, it, it glorifies God, it's good for us, but it also encourages the family. You know that? We're not always going to be worshiping apart, alone in our own homes. We'll, we'll be back together in time, and I want to encourage you. You know what it does for a kid or a teen to see a big guy like... Peter Alford or or Rodney Dunn or Eric Senga worshiping. Like the kids learn something from that. And when they see cool young people like David and Christine or Danita and Hunter or Jessica and Alicia worshiping, they're inadvertently learning something. What about when they see like, you know, together professionals, the Garbies, the Agalawadis, the Hearns, the Daras, on and on, you know, that 18-year-old kid is learning something. They're, something is modeling to them. 
My, my kids are learning something, that men worship Jesus, that cool people worship Jesus, that professionals, those who seem to have it all together, worship Jesus. So when kids walk in and they see their mom and dad worshiping Jesus, they realize, I want to grow up and be a man or a woman um, who worships. I want, to, I want to marry a woman who worships Jesus. I want to marry a man who worships Jesus because that's what my mom and dad are like. It's one of the reasons that we start our service with the whole family gathered together in church. You know, when a, when a woman who is divorced and is living a difficult season is singing out and raising her hands and crying out to Jesus, and she brings her divorced friend who's in, in the same predicament, and that woman sees her friend enjoying God as her father, and thanking Jesus, you know, it's teaching her something that, that that's where we're to go emotionally in our dark days, that we are a people who worship, who worship God. But when we worship God, we encourage one another too. One of the most joyful things for me to see, one of the proudest things is when I look out from that stage and I see God's people singing and celebrating. You know, when we worship it's glorious to God. It's good for us. It encourages the family. Amen. So look, I am wise, not because of anything I've done, not because of the second rate schools I've gone to or the books I've read or only half of which I understand, by the way. I am wise because I have access through the Holy Spirit to the ultimate source of wisdom, to this wellspring of wisdom. And you know, this is not about a question of IQ or grade point average or degrees, right? This is a God thing. This is us discerning what pleases the Lord. And here's the best part. He's not withholding it from us. He knows his wisdom makes for a better life. So he just freely gives it to us. This is what James says. If you need wisdom, Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. You know the story when, when Jesus used the analogy um, that a good father, when asked by their kid for some bread, doesn't go, yeah, sure, kid, here's a rock. See how that goes down. Or if the kid asks their good father for an egg, that dad doesn't go, sure, dummy, here's a soft-boiled scorpion for you. Eat up. And Jesus goes on to say, if you, if, if you have a father in heaven who is infinitely better than even the best earthly father, when you ask him for the Holy Spirit, when you ask him for wisdom, he won't say no. In fact, he loves giving you good gifts. And I'm so grateful that we have a wise board of elders. I'm so grateful particularly in this time and season where wisdom is such a precious gift. So I want to pray for you right now, especially in this time where we need wisdom more than ever. I'm going to pray that he would generously give it. So dear Jesus, um, though it's not fun, it is a good thing to come to the end of ourselves, to be in situations where all of our resources, all of our strength, all of our, our, our wisdom is simply not enough. 
you know, to feel the pain of realizing that whatever worked in the past is not working in this unprecedented moment. And to feel the confusion of not knowing what to do next, to feel the helplessness of being out of control. Because it's in those times that we really do abandon ourselves to you, God, the one who alone can part the Red Seas. So Heavenly Father, we come to your throne of grace this morning and are just praying for wisdom and gentleness to, to love our struggling friends as well. Lord, when we're fearful and confused, when we are fed up and used up, give us all the wisdom, the compassion, um, and faith to love well. Jesus, it's this kind of suffering that makes me wish for you know miracles on demand, but help us to trust your supernatural intervention and grace for supernatural long-term caring. Just write the stories that will maximize your glory. We, we look to you right now for wisdom from above, for power in our weakness. And Father, whether you um, speak to us from your word, by the voice of your spirit, maybe even through spouses or colleagues or our children, whatever it is, may we trust you to have a humble heart and a submissive spirit. We need wisdom, Lord. We need wisdom. We need courage. Oh, God of the resurrection, bring the power of the gospel to bear. You alone can give supernatural wisdom, and we ask for it in your strong and powerful name. Amen. Amen.